You're listening to the CPR of Life podcast, a show about creating community through connection, awakening potential, and uncovering the resilience of the human spirit through an understanding of state of mind. It's about living a life well-lived and uncovering what often gets in the way. Hello, and welcome to episode number 18. My conversation today with Shannon Charania is about changing relationships with self and others through the ebb and flow of life. Shannon's life journey is very interesting. Currently, he's a transformative coach who works with inspirational leaders. He has a really lovely presence, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes up during this conversation. So welcome, Shannon. I'm very, very happy to have this conversation with you today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Shannon, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? I prefer you to kind of tell people what you'd kind of you'd, you'd like to tell versus me reading a bio. Sure. Um, well, I work as a coach, and I've been doing that for about four and a half years. And I'm loving it. It's been a real journey for me from, you know, navigating my way through learning about coaching to what kind of people I'm excited to coach about. And then getting into the three principles around 2015, 2016, um, and having my business completely changed because of that. And um, so that's what I do for work. And for me personally, how I describe myself is basically what I love to do for fun is kayaking and hiking. Mm. I'm in the best place on earth to do that, I think. <laughs> you really are. In Vancouver. And golfing as well. I picked that up a few years ago, and I find that it's a real um, mind game. Mm. You know, so I'm, I'm loving that as well. And then in the wintertime, when it's really nice and rainy here, go bowling, I play racquetball, squash, and ping pong. I, ping pong. I, I've yeah. loved ping pong since I was about... <laughs> Eight years of age. Wow. Yeah, so pick that up again, and it's real fun. I love are, you, are you serious about your sports? Like, are you, when you're playing, like, I'm a total, I embrace the moment. I am not, like, the competitive. Are you competitive? You know, I'm not anymore. I used to be. Yeah. But I found more joy in just having fun with it. And I try to win, but I'm not competitive. I, I really like to get into a a rally more than anything yeah the bowling here is really fun because they have i'm sure they have it there too but they have uh they turn the night bowling into neon bowling mm-hmm. yeah so neon lights and neon bowling balls and and you have the drinks going and so that's yeah. just a fun event on its own yeah uh, and ping pong i can like my my <laughs> habitual thinking will kick in because when I was eight, nine, and ten, I used to actually win trophies for ping pong. I was oh, pretty wow. good. Okay, okay. So sometimes that kicks in and goes, "Oh, I want to win that." <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned not to be so competitive anymore. It's just you know, ping pong is fun. I haven't played it too much. Like I've played it a couple of times on vacation when they have a ping pong table. And last year, um, my son and I were away in an Airbnb, and they had a ping pong table. So we played as much as we could. It was totally fun. Oh, it's so yeah. fun! I love yeah. it. Yeah. I totally do the happy dance when I win, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shannon, what kind of coaching do you do? Oh, man, that's a wide question. Um, you know, what's funny is that when I meet new people still to this day, I still have a challenge explaining that. <laughs> so here's the best way I've come to explain that. <laughs> is 
first of all, it's transformational coaching. Uh-huh. And I say that because I've run into many coaches that are um, information coaches, I call them. They probably wouldn't describe it, but it's more like, you know, where do you want to get to? Let's set your seven and a half steps to get you there. Or here's your 12 and a half steps that I'll guide you to your happiness and relationships and so on. Whereas transformational coaching, how I describe it is that we sit down, have an intimate connection, have an intimate conversation, and I ask you questions and help you get your own insights. And in that sense, transformation to me really just means when somebody has a shift in perspective of whatever they're looking at, how they're looking at their world, how they're looking at their finances, relationships, health, whatever aspect of life it is. Uh, So I sit down with them and help them get their own insights and then help them create whatever it is that they want out of those insights. And um, I guess there's two aspects to it. Fundamentally, that's completely the same with every client, uh, which is to help them get grounded and then help them create. Mm. And why I think that's really important is because in my experience in my own life, as well as my clients' lives, I've seen that when people are creating from a distorted perspective, it's not sustainable. They just come to a point where they're not happy with it. They're seeing it differently. Now they want to change everything again. So I love to help them get grounded first so they can start seeing clearly from whatever level it is and then help them create, and it's much more sustainable that way. It's much more effortless as well, because they're not getting in their own way so much. Right. Do you find with your clients that um, the grounding part is a challenging one? Um, That's a great question. I think it depends. It has depended on my evolution. Mm. I used to find it really challenging. Now I find it that the more I can not add my own opinions, the more I can respect the place they're coming from. And then it just becomes a flow. So they can come from any aspect now. And they might be really, you know, all over the place, not clear on whatever they want or what they're wanting to uh, get out of themselves, maybe even. But if I can just respect where they're coming from, and not add my own opinions on what I think about where they're coming from, then it seems to work really well, and it's not challenging at all. Now, before this, two years ago, even even a year ago, I would say, I would try and get them to see something that I think would be beneficial for them. So that was my opinion. (laughs) Me too. In the beginning, that's what I, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that becomes challenging. So I've I've learned a little bit from that. Um, I was on a workshop last year with Jack, Jack Pransky where it was about deep listening. And one, what I took away from that was just incredible because it's one of these things sometimes if I was working with somebody who had a really traumatic past, I was waiting to point them to their wisdom and to their resilience, you know. And yeah. so what he was saying is then you're not going in as an empty vessel. You're going in with your ego, with you, you know. Whereas if you go in as an empty vessel, you're completely open to them. And it was like, oh, such a, such a, it was, it was the tipping point with me, for sure. Right. Yeah, I love that. That's a great description of it. Yeah. 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 So this month, I'm kind of doing a theme around relationships. Um, And we had a conversation last week and 
I, I loved, I loved hearing about your journey um, in your life, but more so in yourself. Um, so you had kind of a tumultuous past when you were younger and you've kind of changed a lot of your, your direction has completely changed since then. So can we talk about that for a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So as a team, you were involved in gangs. Yeah. So around, I guess around the age of 13 to about 23, 24, um, that was my journey into that world. I got deeply involved in it and it was a gang related world. I wasn't in a particular gang, but I was around all those kinds of people. Well, and, what got um, you into the gang? Like what originally got you in to that? Well, you know, that's been changing how I've been seeing it too. It's mm -hmm. been really interesting actually. Um, how I used to see it, was I got bullied a lot. And this was something that did happen. You know, I came from Kenya, I immigrated here with my family, and I was around age 11. And I got bullied a lot for talking differently and looking mm. differently and all this culture shock, you know, dressing differently. And um, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't register in my head why people did not like me. I thought I was pretty cool. <laughs> 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 and um, so it wouldn't register, like, why is this going on? And you know, I used to talk to adults about it, and the only thing I really kept on hearing from people is, well, that's just part of school. Everyone goes through it. You know, mm -hmm. everyone gets bullied. Don't worry, you'll get over it, or it'll stop, or whatever else. Now, to me, it sounded like, oh, you, you just have to go get dressed and get bullied. Because oh. that, that's how I was translating it. And so I started skipping school. Uh, it didn't make sense to me to get dressed and go get bullied every day. So I started skipping school and hanging out with people that are skipping school and started getting into that world of, you know, smoking weed and selling weed and such. Now, I used to say it like because I got bullied, I went into this gang-related world. But now I see it as because of my own interpretations of whatever was going on. I had a thought. I believed that thought. And off I went for 10 years. Isn't that interesting to hear that just that shift in perspective? They say hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't I don't quite know to this day how it progressed so fast. You know, I really was looking for a sense of belonging at I was just gonna age. say, do you think it was a sense of belonging? Totally, that's, that's totally. One. Yeah. Yeah. And now even when I work with youth, that's the prevalent thing everyone's looking for at that age is yeah. where do I belong and how do I belong? Yeah. I, um, um, I used to do a lot of research in, in sense of belonging and that's, that's such an, that's a critical piece. And you see it, especially in young people, especially when they're like, there's, there's a transitional shift when they're in the teenage years. So you moved at a critical point too, when, you know, you're just kind of getting into that, that stage of your life and, where you're shifting kind of almost away from your family to your friends and your social network for kind of more support and guidance. And then you're in this completely new country and with all that happening. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. It was, you know, I was going through my, just entering the teen years, like my voice was changing, I remember, and I was going through puberty. And then I was going through all this culture shock and going, where is it? Who am I? And where do I belong? Yeah. And so you found that belonging. Yeah. So um, basically when I started to skip school and hang out with people that were 
you know, skipping school as well. I started to relate to them because the people that I connected with were also immigrants. And although their stories were different, everyone was in the same boat in the sense of like, I'm looking, you know, I'm getting bullied too. And I'm looking for the sense of belonging. And that's why I'm skipping. And I was like, that's me. Yeah, Let's hang out. <laughs> so we started hanging out and, and one thing led to another and not these, these people, these children were not bad at all either. They were all looking for the same thing. So we kind of bonded with each other in that sense. And then, you know, when you're not going to school and you can't go home because you can't tell your parents you're skipping school, you yeah. get into trouble. Yeah. And, um, and you know, at, at that age, 13, 14, 15, you're so full of energy. You're so full of boldness. You're so full of daring <laughs> that you start doing things that are daring. Yeah. Like I can see now that, you know, at that age, if, if, if a kid is given a little bit of direction, they can run with it. Whether that direction is get into sports yeah. and they'll be really, really good at sports and very heavily invested or get into drugs and they'll be really, really good at that and heavily invested. It doesn't matter what direction it is. That exuberance comes out, right? Right. Uh, unfortunately a, for me, it was that direction. It was a, it was a second. Was there a point in that that you remember? Like, I know looking back now, you can see a different perspective of it, but do you ever recall a time like where your, like your inner voice or your wisdom was like, ah, this, this just isn't right, but I'm going to do it. Like just kind of feeling that, wisdom is nudging you or poking you or punching you but you just kind of were like no I'm gonna shut that down well you know it's such a good question because I didn't actually notice that till after I got into the principles mm. um, my first actual biggest insight was listening to Dr. Bill Pettit mm. and when he was that. talking about yeah he's he's I just love listening to him he's got some incredible ways of gently nudging yeah. Yeah. you know, whatever's inside of you. Um, but that's when I started to really understand that there is something called wisdom and there's something called personal mind. And he was talking about a gentleman that went up and, and um, he didn't like his principal. He was really mad at his principal. So he brought a gun to school. He wanted to kill the principal. He brought the gun to school. He seen the principal, walked down the hallway, pulled out his gun and put five in the principal's chest, killing him. And, and the boy went to jail. And now Diane Sawyer was interviewing the boy at, in the jail. See how vividly I remember this? <laughs> I, even, yeah. I even remember the interviewer's name. Um, <laughs> and she was interviewing him and she asked him, what was going through your head before you pulled the trigger? And the boy said, you know, it's funny because I was hearing voices like, don't do it. You can still back out of this. You don't have to kill him. And when, as he got closer to the principal, he still heard a voice saying, here's the exit door. Take it now. You yeah. don't have to do this. Now, he didn't realize that was wisdom speaking to him. He thought it was his own doubts and his own, you know, he's, yeah. he's being a coward or something like that. And when I heard this, I literally just fell in tears. I had to sit there for half an hour and I was crying. Because it took me back to exact moments where I was experiencing that when I was doing criminal activity. I had very clear moments of insight, wisdom telling me, don't do this. This is something you can get away from. And I didn't listen to it. I thought it was doubt. I thought I was being a coward. I thought it was like nonsense in my head. Get away. I, I've planned for this. I'm going to yeah. do it. 
So to answer your question, yes, very clearly, I've seen that over and over again, but only after getting out of it and not, not listening to it enough. Now, that being said, you know, I'm out of that world and I'm into this life now. Very fortunate for that and very grateful for that. And I do know that one of the one of the turning points of my life uh, from getting out of that world was when my parents' house got shot up. They were inside the house. They the house got shot up six times. I still don't know how nobody was injured. But that night, I had what I can now call wisdom that says, "Hang on, it's coming this close to your home. You have the opportunity to get out right now and do nothing about it, or you can continue and." try and prove yourself as a gangster and whatever else. And so I listened to that wisdom and, and then, you know, followed through on it and and took a lot of work. It took about four years after that insight for me to actually be out of that life. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's an example of me listening to wisdom, not knowing that I was listening to wisdom. Right. (laughs) You know, how old were you at that point? Uh, That was 2005. So 22 years old, 23 years old. Mm, Okay. Yeah, 23. When you were involved in this, like when you were skipping school when you were younger, did your parents know? Like kind of were they aware of it? Not so much. You know, they were were busy working. When we came to this country, uh, we came from a third world country. So even though we were maybe upper middle class in Kenya, we're automatically lower middle class here. Yeah. You know, the shift makes it so that the affordability is different. You're in a bigger city. You're in a bigger country. Everything's different. So both of them were working long hours, 12 hours a day to yeah. keep me and my brother um, in school and food on the table and shelter over our heads. So they didn't know exactly too much of what was going on. They knew that I was kind of going off track. They didn't know how to handle it. They didn't, you know, there's no manual to do that one. Yeah. <laughs> and so... You know, I I kind of was just being a teenager and not wanting to connect with them and wanting to do my own thing and wanting to hide what I'm doing, clearly, because it wasn't the right thing to do. Uh, So although they knew that I was in some trouble, they just didn't know the details of it. Mm. Why did they choose to move to Vancouver? (laughs) To give us a better and safer life. (laughs) Because people say to me, because my family moved from Scotland to Sault Ste. Marie, which... Yeah. <laughs> and people say, why Sault Ste. Marie? You know, like of all the places they could have moved in Canada. So I'm curious why your parents chose Vancouver. Well, my dad has family in Canada, um, has always had family, I think, since the 70s. Uh, he's had brothers and sisters that lived either in Calgary or Edmonton or Vancouver. And so he's visited here many times. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, him and my mom saved money to move me and my brother here. And they've done that for years in Kenya because Kenya is a place of unrest. You know, you can't really go out after dark. You gotta, there's safety issues. There's corruption issues. There's healthcare issues. Uh, you would not get the best of any of that. Education as well here is better for all of those, all of those aspects. So their plan was to move us here to give us better of those things. Now, why they chose Vancouver is clearly because of the weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, my dad was like, I don't know get that memo when they moved to Sault Ste. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think, I think my dad did enough research to go. Vancouver would probably be the best place right. that 
not full of snow and not full of cold and we could adjust because coming from Kenya, it's a tropical place. It's it, we're right on the equator, so it's literally thirty-two degrees every single day of the year. You know, it's beautiful. So it to go beautiful. from there to here is quite a shift. It is a shift. Even coming from Scotland, I remember the first winter we were here. My brothers buried me like standing up in the snow, and we were just like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So you have a brother now. So was your brother, what was your relationship with your brother like during this period when you were? When I was a teenager? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, I have always been somewhat of a rebellious kind. Like mm-hmm. I always wanted to question the rules. I always wanted to question why people want me to be a certain way or mm-hmm. control me in a certain way. In Kenya, we had to have our shoes polished and uniform pressed and our books covered with paper. And if the edges were wrong, then, you know, yeah. you would get, you would literally yeah. get a spanking from the teachers. But I always wanted to question that. He's always been the type of person that's, okay, this is what we have to do. Yeah. So our relationship in that sense was, I was the rebellious one. Even when I look at my baby pictures, I'm always trying to make a funny face in the photo when I'm trying, <laughs> when I'm supposed to have a nice a photo. <laughs> and um, when I got into that world, he really didn't understand it. He was just more of an observer as far as, you know, that's how it looks to me anyways. He was the straight kind that went to school and, and did did his thing. Yeah. Um, and I was always trying to rebel. So the connection was a surface connection between us. Right. Right. I connected with the friends that I met much more deeply than I did with my own family in any way. And those those connections, those those guys became my brothers that we grew up with. Um, but later on, coming to my senses, uh, you know, my me and my brother connected really well. Like he's got a really kind heart. He has always had a kind heart. As far as I can remember, he'll always go out of his way for people. And uh, it just took me a little, little time to notice that. Right. You know, and yeah. and when I started to notice that, we started to connect. But it was all on me, not on him. And now I'm in the world of personal development and coaching and that kind of world. He's not at all. So we connect over movies and we connect over pizza and we have a beer with each other and we have a laugh that way. Yeah, We have a really good relationship now, but it, it has dependent on, it has been dependent on me coming to that place of wait a minute what is valuable to me yeah you know so when you were involved in 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 the gang lifestyle you found a sense of belonging with others but what was your relationship like with yourself during that period oh man um it was turmoil it was a lot of confusion. It was false. I didn't know myself. I was always trying to fit into something that wasn't me. Right. You know, whether it was with the boys that I hung out with, um, the image that I had developed from people being really scared of me because I was now a gangster in their eyes. Uh, my family not understanding me, and I'm always looking for that understanding from others because I didn't understand myself Mm -hmm. so it was just confusing I just didn't know myself till way later in life I would say even 
30, 31 years of age, I started to discover who I really am, what I like, what I, what are my natural values and where's this kindness and, you know, harmony that, that, that's so effortless yet I have been going completely opposite of that. You think that kind of what you were looking for to feed your soul, it comes from you and you just weren't, you weren't able to kind of feed that at, at until you were at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. I just, I got lost in a world of trying to get a sense of belonging from external sources and having that snowball into all different directions, not understanding that it doesn't come from your external sources. So I just got more and more confused as I developed another image to cover the last image and another one to cover the last image and just didn't know myself at all. Now I got into a lot of drugs and alcohol and I think one of the reasons was that I was trying to quiet my mind. Mm. Even so, once you kind of got out of that lifestyle, did it take some, you said it still took some time for you to kind of find that, that go on that journey with yourself. What was that period like? Because there's also a, like a lack of sense of belonging because you're, then you're in a new, like a whole different realm again. Yeah. So when I got out of that lifestyle, um, I, I tried to hide it all, right? I tried to just push it all under the rug because I was like, I'm trying to be civilized. I'm going to get a job. And the most prevalent thoughts in my mind were, if people found out what I did, oh my God, I'll be fired, or oh my God, what will they think of me, or so on and so forth. Now, while I was busy trying to hide my image, my past life from everyone in this new world, I forgot that I was actually, tr- I was actually hiding it from myself too. Right. So I was just pushing everything down. And it would come up in different ways. It would come up in dysfunctional behavior in relationships. It would come up in dysfunctional uh, you know, habits myself, drinking habits. And I I didn't realize till later on that I was covered in a lot of shame and guilt. The more aware I became, the more aware I started to become that of all the harm that I've done to others. So as soon as I started becoming more conscious of what a civilized person is in a civilized society. <laughs> I went, oh my God, I've been doing this. And I started to get really covered in shame and guilt, like literally crying every night in a fetal position. I remember it, you know. And, um, and then I got into personal development and it started to point out that, wait a minute, those feelings you're feeling is shame and guilt. And guilt means this and shame means that. And so I started to work around how do I work through this? Because my understanding was you have to work through these emotions. Yeah. You know, and I worked really uh, hard. I was going to say that's a lot of effort. <laughs> oh, God, it was so much effort. It was so much effort. Uh, and it wasn't really going anywhere. You know, it was like it was giving me more identification. But just an intellectual identification of what guilt is and what shame is, and I can yeah. start to realize where in my body it is. So uh, I guess I was trying to not be so scared of it, so I was identifying it. But the second part of it was you have to work through it. It's not going anywhere. 
yeah. you know, and then the principals came and went, no, yep. that's not it. <laughs> yeah, no steps required. Yeah, no steps required. It's actually coming from your thinking, not from outside, yeah. not from your past. It's And I was just so relieved. Um, it, it took years off my face, probably, you know, yeah. from not having to work through emotions. Like it, yeah. it, it just didn't make sense to bring in something from the past and, and then work it. Every day I was doing that. Yeah, because it really then you're not in, you're not living in your present moment. You know, you're just because yeah. constantly looking back or, you know, like with your way down and you're just not living. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, you know, it's funny to think about it now, but man, I spent so many years, literally, it's like, okay, morning is here. Let me think about my past and then I'll try to fix it. <laughs> Why would you do that? Something that's already gone. That's right. <laughs> right? Like you literally think it into the present moment. <laughs> Otherwise it doesn't exist. And then you right. want to fix it. Yeah. yeah. It was a full-time job for sure. <laughs> How did your relationship with your parents change? Um, man, that, that's been quite a uh, fulfilling experience as it has come full circle. So I was never really connected with them since the age of 12, 13. You know, I kind of went sideways, didn't feel like people understood me. So I went into that world. Um, I'm, I'm blessed to have them never give up on me and never, you know, disown me. <laughs> I've gotten their house shot up. It's pretty easy to disown me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they never did, but, but there was no real connection. Like we didn't understand each other. We didn't make that effort. Now I actually went on my own and on my own journey. After that life, I started getting jobs here and there. And then I went into this Tim Hortons journey. Mm -hmm. I became the owner of a Tim Hortons. And, you know, that to me, I started to even realize that I didn't want the Tim Hortons. I was operating under this belief that success equaled money. And yeah. the only reason I really got a Tim Hortons because I was insecure about my financial future. I had an insecure thought and went, okay, let's go. It's going to make it this. all better. Yeah. That's right. And obviously it didn't work out because it was operating from an insecure place. And after Tim Hortons, that's when I started to connect with my family again. So that was age 31, 32, not long ago, four years ago, yeah. four years ago, when I started to really look at them and look at myself and go, wow, I don't know these people since age 11, 12. I don't actually know them. Let me sit down with them and have a conversation with them and have a meal with them and see what these people are about. Like literally it was like that. And I'm grateful that I did all this work that helped me look into the direction of uh, making an effort to know people that are in my life. It was, it, it's so much easier to continue with a disconnected relationship because yeah. you try and connect with people that you're always with, but there's no connection. It just seemed like there's a difficult conversations has to be had. And, um, Again, the principles came in, and, and, and what, one of the things that I discovered was that, you know, there's no conversation that's actually difficult. It's, it's, just, it's just a rep repetition in our heads that make it difficult before we enter the conversation. Yeah. So that helped me show up with this emptiness and just listen and look for where there is connection rather than look for where there is disagreement, mm. which I was doing for the last 20 years. 
That's so powerful, right? It was. It was. It was just an opening of what already exists. Here I am trying to. Well, here's where we disagree. Here's my list of twenty things, (laughs) (laughs) and and we're we're all conditioned to look for that, unfortunately. But there's also this other space where you don't have to form a connection; you just have to look for it. Yeah. And that was really so caught up in like trying to analyze and conceptualize the disconnect. Whereas if we just embrace the connection, totally. Yes, I completely agree. It's so it's so there. And funny enough, when when I started to show up that way, um, you know, it was reciprocated. Uh, and, and obviously, the way I was looking at them changed, so they they looked different. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, they're changing." No, it's it's how I seen them was was changing, and they were also changing. Obviously, they were evolving in their own journeys. Yeah. But we connected more and more after that. After I I was age thirty two, and I started to really ask myself, "What is it that you want to do with life? What do you want to?" go after what is it that makes you happy instead of what makes you secure what makes you secure let's go after that yeah. you know it's a completely I different feel secure like, yeah right exactly yeah, yeah. So that's when i started to become more alive and more curious and more grounded um and all those are continuous journeys that i'm on but the more i started to you know uh, i guess reconnect with myself it started to show in my connection with others as well. As your family looked at you and said, "What happened? Like, what? Like, what happened? Like, how did this change transpire?" You know. Yes and no. You know, they're not traditional Indian family. They are so traditionally speaking, uh, culturally speaking it's difficult for them to have that conversation. It's difficult to have for them to have emotional conversations. It's always been. And I say that it's traditional and culturally because I do see that in traditional and cultural Indian families. In yeah. fact, in, with Italian families and Mexican families and Croatian families as well, yeah. deeply cultured people, at least in my experience, it's difficult for them to have a raw conversation to go, tell me about what happened here. Yeah. You know, so they haven't been ones to ask that or, or go there. Um, and and there, there was a point in my life during my growth where I came to a point where I was like, I have to be honest about everything and I have to be integrity yeah. about everything. So I should tell them everything. <laughs> and something inside me said, you know what? You don't really need to. Like, you can just connect with them. You don't have to go through all this stuff and 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 bring up all this past and tell them stories about it because truthfully they don't need to know just like you don't need to know you know your past is your past their past is their past and now they know like you know i had a a couple of newspapers print things about me in the last couple of months and a couple of interviews done they were exposing things of, Hmm. of my past because i've been to forums where media are and i share my story with the youth and 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 parents and whoever's there so my family is starting to see that because obviously it's out there. <laughs> yeah. But they're supportive of that. They, they get it. You know, they, they see that there is a transformation that's occurred and you are now using your past to help others. That's all that matters. We don't need to know all the details around that. 
That's, that's beautiful. That's, and that's, you know, it, it just speaks volumes to the fact that they just, there's acceptance, you know, there's acceptance for where things are. What about romantic relationships? How have, how has that changed for you from before to, to now? You got a smile on your face there. <laughs> bad question. <laughs> No, not necessarily a bad question. I've never really actually spoken about that. I've spoken about everything in my life. I haven't spoken about that so much. Um, I've had one relationship my entire life, and it's been for about 12 years. And, uh, you know, we we met when we were very young. She was 16, I was 18, and we kind of just fell in love and grew up together in that sense. And... um, I mean, you know, I, I can't speak for anyone else. I can only speak from my perspective oh. and with respect. I didn't know myself, so I didn't get to know anyone else. Yeah. You know, and, and I was always trying to fit in to some kind of behavior level that I thought would be cool. Um, and although there was, see how I see it now is that there was a deep, connection that was beyond all the behavior and image and words yeah the lifestyle if you will so that was always there and it was real but because of whatever was visible was so loud Mm. things did not work out you know and for the longest time I was unaware of the invisible beautiful connectedness that was there because it was invisible to me so that the visible part is was really easy to blame. Oh, it's because of this that it didn't work out. Oh, it's because of that it didn't work yeah. out. Oh, it's because she did this or I did that. You know, and, and, and it was none of that because all those were mere byproducts of what was actually going on. Uh, so that's been my romantic story. You know, I've been in one relationship. It was deeply connected, but unfortunately, we couldn't come to see things eye to eye because of all. In, in my opinion, because of all the visible confusion. Uh, so it didn't work out, unfortunately. Have you ever like, have you had a conversation with her since that you could even to connect? Like not to connect in any romantic way, but just to actually connect and have a conversation? Yeah, we have. Um, we, you know, we have our own lives now, and I'm. I went into a completely different direction after Tim Hortons, which was the personal development world, which is quite quite different than a Tim Hortons world. Okay. Uh, and she went into her own direction, which she thought was right or right for her. Um, so our lives are different, our worlds are different, but we still do say hello and hi and birthdays, texts, and all that. Yeah. the odd time we've had a conversation that has brought up the past a little bit and sometimes it's tr- triggers uh, us, either one of us or both of us. And sometimes it's nice and, you know, effortless to have that conversation. So it's nothing that we are, I don't think either one of us are trying to tease that out anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to have, see, for me, it's nice to have that connection. I don't want anyone in my life that um, just just to have any bitterness towards anybody, you know, yeah. I've actually, uh, my coach, my coach in 2015, Christina Berkeley, she helped me so much 
in a personal way and a professional way. And part of the personal way was for her to for her to tell me, like, you know, what if you you contacted some of the people in your past that you actually hurt in that world, like 10, 12 years ago, contact them and tell them how you feel now. And I was like, ooh, that's a pretty scary, <laughs> you know? But I did that. I literally contacted the people that I could. And I told them, listen, this is what I was thinking. I wasn't actually myself, and this is where I am now. And I, and, and I want to apologize for any harm that I may have caused you. And I'm not looking for forgiveness. I'm just doing it from myself. So I've discovered that for myself, it's a really uh, beneficial thing to do that, to not have any negative energy or any bitterness towards anybody because it was always coming from my own misunderstanding anyways. So why would it make sense to carry that on? So my approach has always been like that. So with her, it's always like that as well. I have absolutely no bad, uh, bad blood Mm -hmm. in myself towards her. Um, And I think that helps with the connection. And and I know she does too. She's, she's got a beautiful heart and she always has. Um, It's just too bad that we couldn't see eye to eye. Yeah. When you reached out to the people from your past and, and just reached out to say, I'm sorry, well, how did, like, what did that look like and how did it unfold for you? How did they react? Uh, there's a lot that I couldn't get hold of, um, but there's a few that, you know, there's a few that, uh, three of them told me they were really surprised, first of all, mm-hmm. because they were, they were somewhat still in that world. Hmm. Uh, it's really, it's really difficult. I have seen that it's really difficult for people that are in that world to not have some kind of residue still carry on all the time forever with them. So they're somewhat affiliated with their past in some sense. So they were really surprised about that first. And the second thing was they were really proud of me. So that made me feel good. Uh, and I wasn't expecting any of those answers from them. Mm. So that was nice to hear. And, uh, you know, there's, there's confusion as well. It's like, wait a minute, is this, <laughs> is this a setup? Why are you, yeah. why are you playing this? <laughs> How now do you see your relationship, like, with yourself, like, in your life today? How do you show up every day for you? Well, I guess there's two ways to say that. One of them is I still don't know myself. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Um, But the second one is I don't try to know myself so much. You know, I'm not trying to improve my personal self, which I was so busy doing Mm, when I got out of that life. I was just trying to accept, accept parts of me that were my shadow self. Right. And I was big on that. Like, accept your shadow self, Shanann. You have a pretty big shadow, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And I came to this realization that, you know what? You don't have to do anything around yourself because it was, it is created every day. Yeah. And the second one is, if I can see it that way, there's no acceptance. It's all celebration. Right. Yeah. And that was a great one. Who you are. It's, it's like you don't have to change anything. You don't have to go on this yeah. journey. You like exactly. it's embracing the beauty of, of, of Shannon and who he is. Right. 
Right. And having that come off however it does. Yeah. Uh, and I learn every day from that. There's days when I do, you know, my, my past thinking yeah. will come in and, and I get stuck in it for sure. Oh my goodness, you're human. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that. <laughs> but you know, the difference is when that happens, am I trying to correct it? Am I trying to adjust it? Am I trying yeah. to look at it in a way that, oh, my past is here. Let me learn to accept it. Like to me, acceptance is really just a fancy word of tolerate. Yeah, it, true. You know? But instead, what I can do is just celebrate the fact that there is, uh, there is another part of me that's that's doing the creation, that's mm-hmm. doing the. There's a there's this creative process that I've been so appreciative of more than what the creative process is creating. Whereas I was before trying to improve the already created. No wonder I was trying to accept things because it's already created. The best you can do there is accept. Right. You know, so that's been a big difference for me. That's, that's, that's so powerful. Um, What do you do when you're in a low mood? Hmm. Um, Nothing. It's it's actually changing. Um, for the past three months or so, you know, I'm going from when I get into a low mood, I would go for a walk, I would do a workout, I would listen to music. Not trying to change the low mood, but at least try and do something to um, maybe try and see something I'm grateful about, and not not. I don't mean things that I'm grateful about. Uh, see, my gratitude has shifted from what are you grateful about, the things that you're grateful about in your life, to you have the ability to be grateful. Why don't Why don't we become grateful for the ability instead of what the ability is? Oh, that's you know? nice. Yeah. yeah, that's been a nice shift for me. That is, is a nice shift. Because it's kind of like that one where it's like, it's not what we think, it's that we think. And then you're like, oh, wow. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Huh. But when I'm in a low mood now, I have learned to be curious about it. And I don't I don't mean learn as in, wait, I have to learn this. But I'm really curious about how this creative process creates a low mood. And I just get really curious and fascinated with it. And I think the reason for that is because I'm less scared of it. You know, before I used to be really scared of a low mood because... I would think it's going to lead somewhere that's going to damage me. So I would try and get the hell away from it as fast as I can, which would take longer to get away from it. (laughs) (laughs) It just keeps you stuck in it. Yeah. And now I'm just getting curious of how this creative process just is so creative that I can never fathom it. And it's got, it's created a low mood. I, you know, that's, that's all, that's all I go with now. Um, I used to really get in there though. I used to be, okay, well, what, which, what thought was it? Let me try and figure that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who's which guilty thought? <laughs> yeah. I know it's my thinking, but which one? Let's go in there. No, bad idea. <laughs> yeah. For me, I just, I visualize like the thoughts is like, you know, like, um, my mommy watches the news and the channel where the news is like constantly like on the ticker tape on the bottom of it. I think I see that as my thoughts just going and it's just kind of, 
I'll just be like, oh, okay, so what's going on on my ticker tape right now? Like, you know, I'll look at it and I'll just be like, okay, <laughs> like, you know. Oh, but, that's a nice way to put it. I love that. Yeah, it's just kind of when you see what's running through the ticker tape, you're like, oh, there we go, you know. Yeah. Sean, what does the three principles, because some people who listen may not know what the three principles are. What 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 are they for you? I don't know them either, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really stutter describing them, and I can now understand why everyone else stuttered. Like when I first got into it, I was listening to Keith Plevins talk about it. Yeah. I was like, why, why, why can't he answer the question of what the three principles really are? And you could see across the board, nobody really can. But what are they for you then? Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I don't know. Um, for me, the three principles as of today, as of right now, <laughs> oh. is a description of how creative our mind is and how it creates every human experience that we encounter. And it's simply just a description yeah. of how things work. That's it. Like, that's the best I can do with that is, it's simply a description, but without the description, it can be extremely confusing. Right. You know, so the, the it's... Um, I mean, there's not much I can say about the three principles, except for that's it. It's a description, and it sounds so subtle and simple, and oh, that's it? It's a description? Yeah. But without the description, oh man, it's chaotic. <laughs> it's quite chaotic. <laughs> because it's describing a psychological experience, and that's why it's so chaotic if you don't understand the description. Right. And, and, and that's been my experience of obviously a chaotic life. <laughs> <laughs> poster child <laughs> yeah no kidding <laughs> so now if you were talking to um youth as you have um and young kids what would you say to them about wisdom you ask the really easy questions don't you <laughs> 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 um <laughs> what would i say to them about wisdom um, lately I've been, the youth that I've been talking to, I'm finding it simple and easy to, uh, to point out their wisdom as they're speaking. You know, I... I haven't found it helpful to talk to people or to youth about wisdom just off the get-go. Hey, let me tell you about what wisdom is and how you guys all have it in you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah. I know that some people do that very successfully. I haven't been able yeah. to. I've it's failed at it so many yeah. times. <laughs> so what I do is I ask them questions like, what, what are you struggling with? You know, I spoke at a school in December and... I didn't know how to start. So I said, hey, I don't know what you guys are struggling with, what you guys' dreams are. Let, why don't you guys tell me? And then whatever they're saying, if I can pick some wisdom out of that, I would highlight that, tease that out, and throw it back at them going, here's what you said. Isn't that cool? And so I would point that out. And I wouldn't call it wisdom because I, I don't know. There... In my experience with the kids that I've worked with, they're 
affiliation with the word wisdom is towards adults, old people, experience, you know. So I don't use the word wisdom, but I totally just highlight whatever they've just said that they um, might might have missed or might have discounted. Just like I was, you know, my wisdom was telling me, get out of here. And I was like, oh, that's doubt. That's not wisdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so when you ask them these questions, are they like, are they responsive? Were they Very much so. Very so much what so. What sort of things came up for them? It was really interesting because when, if I was to take that same example of speaking at the school in December, um, I was speaking to a, a grade 12 class and what they were, telling me was, I'm really stressed about university coming. I don't know how it's going to be. I'm unfamiliar with it. I've heard so many stories of people overworking and overpartying and staying away from home and don't, you know, I'm scared of life going forward. And so I basically told them, can I share something with you around where my feelings of stress come from and where I, where I started to see them? So I went through the basic sense of, you know, thoughts, feelings, and behavior oh. and took through that. And so before I did that, I said, oh, okay, so before we get into the stressful scenarios that you've just put out, can you do an exercise with me? And they say, yeah. And I say to them, let's uh, try and get angry without thinking about it. Now that opened up the class so much. They literally started giggling and looking at each other going, oh my God, you really can't do that, can you? <laughs> yeah. and, and that opened them up into, wow, what else are you going to say? Um, and then I went into, you know, our thinking creates our feeling. And when you're thinking about university, you're, you're going to experience this. And when you're not, you're not going to experience it. But for me, the difference is that when I think that my feelings are coming from something other than my thinking, it's most likely going to make it to my behavior level. And if I can see that it's coming from my thinking, I'm still going to feel it, but it doesn't have to make it to my behavior level. And so that they loved so much. They actually, uh, I usually leave my email on the, on the whiteboard behind me while I'm speaking. Yeah. Six kids emailed me after and told me, this is something so different. We've never heard of something like this. We want you to do a follow-up, talk to the teacher, come in again. Uh, and they all, you know, I offered them a free one-on-one -on -one session in case they want to talk about something yeah. they don't want to do. They all took me up on it, so all six of them. And um, also the teacher said, we've never heard anything like this. We'd like for you to come back and talk about it more because he got so much out of it. In fact, I told the teacher to take pictures of us while I was speaking. And at the end, when I was done, I said, did you get any pictures? He said, I was so <laughs> yes. immersed in what you were saying. I forgot to take pictures. <laughs> I said, okay, well, that's a good reason. <laughs> See, that's brilliant. And that's amazing. And I love when that's the connection that, that comes from your time with anybody, but with kids. When you see that light in their eyes, they get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're so they're so wise, like in my experience of working with adults in my coaching business and with youth in my, all this pro bono work I'm doing, yeah. they get it so much quicker. They do. They just I think do. they have less thinking. They, I think they have less thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they hang on to stuff and make it so big. Like we make it, you know, so big about the world 
yeah. where their world is their classroom. So if you can just step out there, yeah. they, they kind of get it. Um, I, I had this one, one kid that I was, you know, in a, in a coaching session with, he took me up on the one-on-one and, and as I was pointing things out to him, he's like, yeah, okay, that's cool. I get that. So can I talk to you about the next thing? So I was thinking in my head, like, I don't know if he really gets it because he moved on pretty fast from that one. Yeah. Next time I talked to him, he had it. He's yeah. like, this has helped me so much. And here's how. And he said to me in his own words, how I was amazed. I was like, man, I totally missed how he got that because <laughs> to him, he got it. Whereas yeah. we would go, wow, to him. It's like, oh, okay, interesting. Next. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was having a conversation with my son and he's been at workshops with me when I've been in schools. Um, and I said to him, Finley, I'm trying to figure out, I want to say, like, it's not the content of, of your thoughts. It's not what you're thinking. It's actually that you think. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, that's so much easier. And he walked away. He's like, I get it. And I was like, oh, oh man, okay. But it is, right. it is. They're amazing. They're amazing. I love having conversations with young people and kids. because Yeah, me too. Yeah. Shannon. So, so this is all about relationships and we've, we've covered a lot of different types of relationships. Just in closing, would you, is there any advice or any wise words <laughs> about relationships that you would share? Uh, wise words. Not to or... put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back at how I navigated relationships, not probably not the best person to give advice on. Uh, <laughs> but look at the beautiful spot you're in now it is a beautiful spot you know I would say well there's two things that come up for me the, one of them has been the most helpful the most helpful thing in my life is to realize that love cultivates me I cannot mm -hmm. cultivate love and that's been extremely prof profound in its implications because I've always tried to cultivate love. It never works. When that switch happened, it was the foundation for all relationships because I can show up and have love cultivate me however it does in that moment. And I can embrace all the mess ups and the times that I don't let that happen. You know, so that, that's the one thing is if I was to give advice, let love cultivate you because there's no way you can ever cultivate it anyways. <laughs> And the second piece is um, my understanding of opinions has completely changed. I think in my world, how I see it is we are so conditioned, even though I would even say Western culture, so conditioned to assert our opinions and things, our educated intellectual opinions, whereas connection just happens just below that. It doesn't happen on the level of opinion ever. So I would say take your opinions with a, a pinch of salt and you don't have to assert them in any way in, in every relationship or every conversation. Uh, and I think if we do that more, then we can notice the connection that already exists because our opinions are made of the state of mind that we're currently coming in from anyways. So... I think those two things is what I would say is let love cultivate you and stay away from always asserting your opinions. It, it, it 
automatically puts you in this world of connection and respect automatically. That's pretty profound. Is it? Well, good. <laughs> <I'm done. laughs> that was pretty good. Shannon, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. So I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Me too. It's been really, really fun. And I enjoyed talking with you in such depth. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. This was such an incredibly powerful conversation. Both Shannon and I felt this. This conversation is a perfect example of the power of connection and the power of showing up. I really, really appreciate Shannon and his honesty and willingness to just talk about his life in such an honest way. Here are a few thought bomb takeaways. Distorted thinking leads to distorted actions. When someone has a shift in perspective, relationships can change in immeasurable ways. Our own interpretation of the past as we evolve in our personal growth changes as we evolve. The past is the past. When we think back, we're thinking about it from a present state of mind. People spend so much time, money, and effort searching for the answers to who I am and where do I belong from others, books, drugs, alcohol, food, etc. These efforts are futile. It's only when we shift the direction of our search inward that will find the answers. And finally, the most beautiful relationship you will ever be in is the one with yourself. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd enjoy this conversation, I'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out. I really enjoy reading your emails and welcome your input. Until next time, be well, be inspired, be you. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Jessie Lynn, please check out the contact page on her website, jessielynnmcdonald.com. Also, we'd be beyond grateful if you would leave us a review. Join us next time for another edition of the CPR of Life.